Um, Acts 3, 19. Um, God, sorry. Oh, Lord, you know the hearts of men and still you let them live. Yikes. All right. Repent, therefore, Acts 3.19, that he, Yahweh, God the Father, may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. This is God's word. And so for the next uh, five weeks, we're looking at um, the apostolic witness, okay? What was handed down to the apostles? So Jesus is raised from the dead, and then he spends the next 40 days doing what? Teaching his apostles, right? Speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And so after that, what is the message that they proclaimed? What do they go about saying and, and doing? What's the faith, Jude 1-3, handed down to us 2,000-ish years later, okay? And it's five main things, okay? If you get these five main things, you have your whole New Testament, okay? You're done. You don't have to read it anymore, right? I'm just kidding. Read it, but you got these five. This will help. Um, first, the apostolic witness is the restoration of all things at the day of the Lord. It's Jewish election and messianic hope. It's a sacrificial understanding at the cross that Christ died as a sacrifice for sins pleasing to God. It's the resurrection of the Messiah as a first fruit, and it is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being poured out, uh, baptizing, drenching, filling, indwelling, whatever New Testament word you want to use, the disciples of Jesus, so that they can bear witness to the first four things. Okay? The Spirit is given so you can say with confidence and with boldness, God will restore all things. And you can say with confidence and boldness that Jesus is the Messiah. You can say with confidence and boldness that he died for our sins. And you can say with confidence and boldness that he rose from the dead and so will all who believe in him. That's what the Spirit's for. Because saying those things is, is hard sometimes. Okay? So that's where we're going for the next five weeks. Some of that's going to be old hat for you, okay? Like when we get to the cross, everyone in here is just going to go, well, duh, you know? Okay? We get to the resurrection, you guys will go, duh, some of, some of it's old hat. Some of it will not be like today, okay? But I just want to press on us um, this Sunday and every Sunday that we're not working through the scriptures, okay? We're not showing up on, on Sunday and going to class after this and reading the Bible during the week and going to small groups and Bible studies. We're not doing this so that we have more Bible knowledge, okay? I don't care. I mean, I care a little, but that's not why we're doing it. We're going through these things specifically so that you have them as an anchor for all the turmoil that this age brings, okay? All the sadness and suffering and sickness and wars and rumors of wars and little petty disagreements with people, big stuff and little stuff from last week. So you have these things as an anchor for your heart and mostly so you can actually conform your life to them. Okay, so you actually can live like God's going to restore all things and you can actually live like he died for my sins and you can actually live like you're going to get raised from the dead. If, if we don't conform our lives to these things, what's the point? There is none. Okay, you're going to stand before God and, and it's not going to be Bible B. Okay, now, Josh, what does John 4 say? It's not happening. It's Josh, did you love me with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself? So that's. 
That's the goal, okay? That none of our members or anyone else here listening today gets thrown into a lake of fire, but all of us inherit the hope of the age to come, okay? So back to our opening text. Peter and John have just done the silver and gold have I none bit, but such that I have I give to thee, and the young man went what? Walking and leaping and praising God. Yeah, he went and did that. I don't know if he was singing as he did it, but that's what happened. So in context to this, this guy's healed. Everyone is amazed. Peter stands up and says, repent. You see this? Repent. Now you see this? Give me your money, right? He says, you see this? What just happened? Repent, therefore, that he may send the Messiah who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive. So Jesus ascended until, until what? Until the times of the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets forever. So this is Peter's witness. This is how he bears witness to a crowd who has just seen a lame man walk and leap and allegedly sing. Okay, so which brings a a few questions. First, Peter says the times of the restoration of all things. So first question, what are all things? Okay. second question, why does Peter assume And they assume they're going to know that all things will be restored. So let's deal with the first one. What is all things for the prophets and the apostles and hopefully for us? All things is the heavens and the earth, right? Genesis 1.1. Do you guys know that one? It's at the front, okay? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. That's all there is, guys. That's all that exists is the heavens and the earth. And for the rest of the the Genesis narrative, the narrative that the apostles built their lives upon, okay, if Genesis 1 isn't real, the apostles are fools, but it is real and they are wise. The rest of Genesis tells us some things. And first, it tells us that God really likes the heavens and the earth. God really likes all things. In fact, when, when God is finished making it, what does he call it? Genesis 1.25, he looks at it and says, this is good, you know? And he looks at all the, the divine counsel and that. what do you guys think? This is good? And they go, yeah, God, it, it's good. Okay, they hadn't rebelled yet. It's, it's good. God makes all things. It says, this, I like this. You know, we should put this on the wall. I, you know, I like this. Like my kid, you know, if you guys have, have kids and they draw stuff and you put it on your refrigerator, you think it's awesome, Okay. God thinks what he made is awesome. So basic to the apostles' worldview, again, Jews in the first century, basic to their worldview is the truth that all things is very good. The heavens and the earth is very good. And by Genesis 131, after uh, man and woman get made, he says it's very good, right? So he's up the ante once we add humans to the equation. And so for Adam and Eve, for what is very good, God plants them a, a garden, all right? Which this, I don't relate to God on a lot of things. This is one of them too. Like gardening, I like to eat it. I like to eat your stuff, David. I don't want to do the work, okay? God plants a garden and tells them to live in it, play in it, fill it with children, have dominion over it. Genesis 2 eight. the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So where does he put Adam? In a garden, right? Here you go, man, be there. And he places in the garden, Genesis 1, 9, the, the tree of life. And the, the story of the tree of life is if Adam and Eve go to this tree and eat from its fruit, they will never, ever, ever, ever die. Their bodies will perpetually regenerate 
forever by eating from the tree of life. So first basic question, based on Genesis, okay? Not based on anything else you've ever heard or ever learned or ever thought. Based on Genesis, what does God think about all things? Pretty good, pretty, pretty, pretty good, all right? It's very good. All things is very good. Second basic question, based on Genesis, not anything else you've ever heard or thought, where does God think humans are meant to live? Based on Genesis, on the earth, in a garden, in bodies that never decay, that never die, okay? That's all Genesis 1 tells us, those two things. God likes what he has made, and that's where man is supposed to live. Okay, so we know, if, if, or maybe you don't know, but I'll, I'll tell you anyway, all things, okay, the heavens and the earth and humans were marred by sin, right? And so God cursed them. You rebelled against them and God cursed them. And we know that's true because is farming like the easiest thing ever, guys? Does the ground just do what you tell it to do all the time? And No, it's been cursed, okay? Are human beings dying? Everyone in here knows someone who has died, and everyone in here is going to die, okay? This is from the curse. The apostolic witness says, Romans 5.12, this is Paul, sin came into the world through one man. What man? Adam, who God placed in the garden. And death came through sin so that death spread to all men and women, okay? The women in here will die as, as well. Okay, so this is what's happened. This is how the story goes. This is what the apostles build their witness upon. So third basic question, since all things are good, and since God created mankind to live on this earth in bodies, what is God's plan? What is God's heart for all things? What is God's plan and God's heart for human beings? Okay, is God's plan for all things, is God's plan for the heavens and the earth to be annihilated? Okay, did God... Uh, Make creation, all right, do the bit, say it's very good with the intent to just blow it up later. All right? Okay, so if you, if, again, little children, um, they, they build, little boys especially, they build stuff. And they spend a long time building stuff and blocks and Legos and stuff. And then what do they do? Boom! Like that's the whole point for them building it is to destroy it. Okay, God is not a little kid. Okay, that's, that's not what's doing. God didn't make mankind and design them to dwell on the earth as his stewards, as his ambassadors, with the intent to simply remove them from their bodies to the eternal sing-along in the sky, right? He didn't tell Adam, Adam, I'm putting you here so that when you die, you can go to heaven. But he said, Adam, this is where you're supposed to live forever and fill and, and have dominion, dominion over, okay? So God's plan is not that his creation that he says is very good is annihilated, and his plan for human beings that he says is very good is not to float away. Instead, God's plan for all things, Peter, Peter tells us, the apostle Peter tells us, Messiah Jesus, who was preached to you guys before, whom you killed, he always brings that up, you guys killed him, whom heaven must receive until the times of the destruction of all things. Heaven's going to receive him until the destruction. Heaven's going to receive him until the spiritualization of whatever. No, Peter says heaven must receive Jesus until the times of the restoration, the restoring of all things, the heavens and the earth and human beings, which God spoke through the holy prophets for how long? Like how long have the people of God, the prophets of God, those who have given us the oracles from heaven, how long have they looked forward to the restoration of all things since the world began? 
Okay, guys, Enoch, seven generations from Adam. Adam's looking forward to it after he sins. He's looking forward to everything being restored. Eve is looking forward to it. Enoch prophesies it. Noah's looking forward to it. The restoration of all things. So the witness that the apostles received from Jesus is not that God will destroy all things, nor that humanity will escape from all things, but that God will restore all things, renew all things, regenerate, reconcile, recover, resurrect, whatever you want to put re on in front of, that's what God is going to do for all things. As they were very good in the beginning, so they will be very good in the end. That's where history is going because God wins, okay? He doesn't lose. And this is what the apostles bore witness to, Romans 8. Creation was subjected, all things, was subjected to futility, okay? The thorns and the thistles and, 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 uh, and our knees hurting and, and everything was subjected to futility, not willingly. They didn't say, God, please do this, but because of him who subjected it. God cursed creation, why? In hope that the creation itself will not be annihilated or, or spiritualized. No, but creation will be set free. Greek word luo, loosed from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Okay? God likes what he has made. God likes you. And his plan, his heart is to restore all things. So I know this understanding of uh, restoration rather than annihilation might tweak with some of us, um, but this is the witness that we've been given from Moses. This is the witness we've been given from the prophets and, and from the apostles. And so we want to conform ourselves to what they've handed to us, right? All of us want to do that. And so the best way to do that is to just read the Bible, okay? So can I just read a lot of scripture at a church service? I'm not asking. I'm, I'm going to do it, but... <laughs> Okay, let's ask, why do the apostles believe this? Why do they think like this? Well, they read the Bible. So first, why do, why do the apostles believe that all things will endure forever? Because the Bible tells us so, okay? First, the scriptures explicitly state that the heavens and the earth will endure forever. First Chronicles 16, tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. It's not going to be moved. Psalm 78, he built his sanctuary, so Moses goes up on Sinai, and the Lord gives him the blueprints for the tabernacle based on what? The tabernacle that's in the heavens. <laughs> I don't know what those blueprints looked like, Reese, Brian, but cool deal. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established for how long? Forever. Psalm 148, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded them and they were created, which is what, Genesis 1, right? And there they were, a few VeggieTales people, okay? He set them in place for how long? Forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Stars, you're going to do what I say forever and ever. Sun and moon, you're going to do what I say forever and ever. And I want you there. I think it's very good where you are. Ecclesiastes 1.4, just straight. Generations come and go, but the earth remains forever. Psalm 72, he, the Messiah, the, the royal son, he will endure as long as the sun. As long as the moon, through all generations, for in his days the righteous will flourish. Prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. May his name endure forever. May his name continue as long as the sun. And so in saying that the Messiah's name 
and the Messiah will endure as long as the sun and moon, he's saying, what? It'll endure forever. Because the Messiah is not going anywhere, right? He's raised from the dead to never die again. He's going to endure as long as the sun and moon. I know it's circular reasoning, but you get it, okay? And I could read 50 more, but we got the Baptist coming in, so. <laughs> 50 more. The first reason the apostles believed and proclaimed that the hope of the gospel, the good news, is that God will restore all things is simply because the Bible says it will. Okay? And that's, I mean, that's good enough for me. I'm like, I'm just a, I'm just a normal Tonkawa dude. If the Bible says it, I'll go with it. All right? And that's why I like preaching to you guys. You know what I mean? Like, some pastors got to, like, convince them that they should believe the Bible. You guys just believe it. So, and if you guys could all raise your children to do that too, that would make the rest of my preaching life easy as well. Okay. The Bible says so. Second reason the apostles believed and proclaimed the restoration of all things, that the reason Peter heals the guy and then says repent, is because God's honor is at stake. Okay? If the story ends with God destroying all things and taking human souls out of their bodies to live in an ethereal, immaterial heaven, if that's the story, guys, then Satan won, okay? He wins. So imagine the story, a, a group of awesome dads, our church has awesome dads, they build this awesome playground for their kids to play in with the express intent that the playground is good and the kids are meant to play there forever, but then an adult bully shows up and, and vandalizes the thing, okay? Just breaks up the whole bit. So imagine then that the dads, the dads get together and their solution is, hey, this bully did this. We're going to drive to the playground. You know what we're going to do? We're going to round up our kids and leave the playground and go get ice cream. Now on the surface, that's, that's okay. You know what I mean? Dad shows up and says, let's go get ice cream. I'm, I'm good with that. But look at it a little bit longer. Those are not honorable dads. Those are lame dads, okay? Because the playground is still wrecked and the kids don't get to play on it anymore. That's not the biblical story. The biblical story is that the dads build the awesome playground. They say this thing is very good, as dads would do, right? <laughs> God, men are, are funny creatures, just overall. overall. Sorry, I've just got to... Uh, you guys didn't watch King of the Hill, but if you did, you know, they're just doing a bit. Anyway, they build this awesome playground. They call it very good. The adult bully shows up and wrecks it, and the dads show up and don't say, kids, get in the car. We're going to get ice cream. The dads show up. They kick that bully out of the playground eternally, okay? And then they restore the playground to be better than very good. And the kids play in the playground that they were meant to play in forever. Guys, your Bible says that Satan doesn't get all things, okay? Satan doesn't get the heavens and the earth. That's not how the story ends. He doesn't win. The heavens and the earth, all things belong to God and God's children forever. And at the day of the Lord, he will purge the playground of wickedness and restore it to everlasting glory. Those are good dads. 
That's a good dad who does that for his children, okay? So first, the apostles preach this because the Bible says so. Second, the apostles preach it because God's honor is at stake. He's not a lame dad. And third, the apostles believe and proclaim and live in light of the restoration of all things because God's ultimate purpose, God's ultimate desire has always been and always will be to dwell with man on the earth. Back to Genesis. Again, like Genesis matters. Genesis 3.8, the Lord God is walking where? In the garden, in the cool of the day. Why? Because that's what he wanted to do. Okay? With Moses on Sinai, Exodus 25, he says, let them make me a sanctuary. Why? Why does God want a sanctuary among the people of Israel? That I may dwell among them, right? On the earth, on that Part of the Middle East, okay? God had a zip code. God will have a zip code. Ezekiel 37, I will put my sanctuary among them for how long? Forever. My dwelling place will be with them. Zechariah 2, shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming. <laughs> we shouldn't have stopped singing today. Sorry, it was so, so good. I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. John 1, 14, you guys know this one well. The word became flesh and did what? Made his dwelling among us. Like that, because that's what he wants to do. That's his heart. And then how does the story end, right? What's the end of our book say? Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Where? On the earth, right? He will dwell with them because that's what he wants to do. He will, they will be his people. God himself will be with them because that's where he wants to be as their God. Okay? The story ends this way because God wants the story to end the, this way. Okay, we're going to read Isaiah 48 at the end of the sermon today. And we just say God just gets what he wants. Okay? That's what he does. The fourth reason then that the apostles and, uh, and prophets and Hopefully us believe and proclaim the restoration of all things is because God's covenant promises are tied to it, okay? If this story ends in any other way than God coming through on every promise that he's made, he is a liar, okay? This is the one that convinced me. When I started working through this stuff, I was like, okay, I read all those verses. I was like, man, but when it came to this, that the faithfulness of God is at stake, Okay? God being true or God being a liar is at stake. This was the nail in the coffin for me. If God breaks his covenant with creation, then he can break his covenant to Israel, which means he can break his covenant to you, okay? which is a terrifying prospect. If our entire life is based on God being faithful and not lying and doing what he says, and then all bets are are off. So he says, Jeremiah 33, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day, and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time. So again, God tells them what to do. Okay, Joshua says, sun stands still, and God says, okay, stand still, and it stands still. If that can be broken, the day and the night and their appointed times, then verse 21, then my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken. If that covenant's broken, my covenant with Israel is broken, okay? If I have not established my covenant with the day and the night and the fixed order of the heaven and the earth, the fixed order of all things, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob. Do you see? They're tied. 
create God's creation of all things and is setting them in place and is ordering them to work, God ties his faithfulness to that, to his covenant to David and Jacob and, and the people of Israel. And so I can say with confidence to you, God is not going to break with his, his covenant with the night and with the day, and he is for sure not going to break or change or abrogate or subvert his covenants to Israel. Otherwise, he's just unfaithful. And we have no reason to trust him except maybe just like fear, you know, like he's like the other gods who you're not sure what they're going to do. We worship Yahweh because we know what he's going to do all the time. He's faithful to do what he said. So the covenants, okay, we'll work through some of those next week. The covenants and the substance of the covenants go on forever, which means the fixed order of the heavens and the earth go on forever, okay? So just think about the covenants logically, okay? How do they work? Like, just literally, how do they work if the heavens and the earth are, are destroyed and, and we fly away? Oh, glory. How do they work? Exodus 30, and again, I could do 50 different covenant <laughs> promises here. We'll just do one. Exodus 32, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Israel, Jacob, to whom you swore by your own self. If God swears by his own self, seems like a big deal. Okay? I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land that I promised them, and it will be their inheritance, the land, for how long? Right? You, get your sand, you guys have all seen the sandlot, right? Forever. <laughs> how long does the earth and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by default... How long does that have to endure for his family to inherit the land as an everlasting inheritance? Forever. Forever. It's just what my Bible says. Okay? Which means Abraham and the earth and the earth need to be raised from the dead. Because I don't know if, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are very old right now. Okay, and to inherit the land, they need to be raised from the dead, which means there will be a restoration of all things, not an annihilation or spiritualization of all things. This tract of land is going to be restored and remade and renewed, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be resurrected to dwell on it with their descendants forever. Right? Uh, okay, so... God is, God is committed to restoring the earth. I read 25 passages. Again, there's 100 and 100 more, and I'll hand you a list. If you would like a list, I, I've got them, okay? God is not giving up on all things. He created very good. I like this. He's not giving up on it, okay? He's keeping it forever. When Jesus returns at, at, at what the apostles and the prophets call the day of the Lord, he will make all things new, and he will cleanse the earth from Wickedness, And again, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of passages affirm this reality, okay? So how I interpret the Bible, if I've got a hundred passages that are just very clear and say one thing, and then I have a couple that are like, hmm, I interpret those in light of the simple, easy, big ones. Does that make sense? Okay, so I've got hundreds and hundreds of passages that say God's committed to Fixing this thing. God's committed to his word, to his promises, to his honor, and he wants to dwell with man. And then I've got nine passages that say, okay, so we're just going to deal with one, all right? And it's the Star Wars passage. 
2 Peter 3 and God's Death Star. All right. Do you, you guys have seen Star Wars? Darth Vader has a Death Star and he points it at Alderaan. Kaboom. Right. The Death Star is so big, it shows up and they say, look at the moon. And they go, that's no moon. That's a Death Star. All right. So 2 Peter 3, if, if you're not familiar, it, it gets interpreted as if not only does God own a Death Star, which he, of course, God owns a Death Star, okay? But he plans on using it, right? 2 Peter 3, the heavens and the earth that now exist, Peter says they are stored up for fire, depending on your translation, the, and the, the elements will be burned up and dissolved, right? Okay, like we need Han Solo to come in and save the day. Okay, so as we've seen, though, Peter and the apostles believe in the restoration of all things, not the annihilation of all things. So let's just work through 2 Peter um, 3, okay? So knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, because what else would scoffers come with? They come with scoffing, and they're following their own sinful desires. So we've got bad dudes here scoffing at the promises of God based on their sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where's he at? You guys, you guys are singing this morning. He's coming soon. They're walking in here and going, okay. You know what I mean? They're scoffing. For ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things, what's all things? The heavens and the earth way things work. All things are continuing as they are, as they were from the beginning of creation. So all things, the heavens and the earth, the way of the world has just gone on and on and on and on since the beginning. And since the beginning, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus, the, the apostles, they all said, okay, and we'll go back through and look at this some next week. They all said, guys, what happened in Genesis 3 was bad and it marred human beings and it marred creation. There is a D, capital D day coming when God will rid the earth of its wicked ways and make all things new, bring about everlasting righteousness, restore all things. Okay? And so there's a group of people who scoff at this notion, right? And it's wicked people following their sinful desires. And they're saying, He ain't coming. And so we'll eat and drink and be merry, for God is not faithful to his word, right? That, so that's the context of the passage. We've got sinful people saying he's not coming, so we're going to do whatever the heck we want to do. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. This is Peter shouting, Genesis 1, okay? And by means of these, the waters, the world that then existed, was deluged with water. And what happened? What word does Peter use? What happened to the world? Perished. It was destroyed in some of your translations. But by the same word, the same word that God spoke to create and the same word that God used to send a flood, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for not water this time, but for fire being kept until when? When will God destroy the earth with fire? The day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly, okay? So just back up from the passage. We've got wicked people scoffing. And Peter says, you guys remember when he destroyed the earth with water? If you're going to keep scoffing, you know he's coming to destroy the earth again, this time not with water, but with fire. Everyone on the same page? Okay, so ask the question then, when the flood came, 
Genesis 6. When the flood came, was the earth annihilated? (laughs) Absolutely not. Okay, like what are we standing on right now? The same earth that was flooded. What are the bricks and this, you know, like this is decaying because it's made from the, the stone and brick and whatever and the dirt from the flood. You're on the same earth that was flooded in Noah's day. That's weird to me, you know. All right. The, the, so it was, it was, it was diluted, it, but it was not annihilated. And the Lord didn't send the flood to annihilate the earth and destroy the earth. Why did he send the flood? To cleanse it, to clean it, to wash it of its ungodliness and wickedness. And so it will be at the day of the Lord when he cleanses the earth with fire and destroys the ungodly from it. The ungodly and the scoffers from it. Morning, Amber. Hi. All right. So verse 8, he's saying, so scoffers who are scoffing and following their sinful desires and saying God doesn't follow through on his promises. Scoffers don't overlook this one fact. That's what he tells them. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. So Adam eats the fruit, says Adam, in the day you eat of it, you will die. When does Adam die? Like 990 years later, okay? As with the Lord, one day is a thousand years. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. His promise to what? To cleanse the earth from wickedness and to destroy all, and restore all things, okay? He's not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. He's patient towards scoffers. Hallelujah. Okay? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance and therefore not be destroyed, but inherit eternal life. But the day of the Lord will come. He's patient. He's slow on our time. He's slow. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away. Okay? This is the Greek word, perikomai, which 20 more times is used in the New Testament. And it never means annihilate. It never means destroy. It can mean pass by. The heavens will pass by or to change, right? So 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul Paul says that uh, in Christ you are a new creation. The old has what? Passed away, okay? Well, you're still here. You know what I mean? You're changed. You're you're renewed in Christ. So Peter, it's the same exact... um, um, word, okay? So, at the day of the Lord, all things will be made new, and, here's the death star, a, with a roar, with the, the elements will be burned up and dissolved, okay? Now, I'm not going to bore you with the history of this word being translated, but it's the same Greek word, uh, luo, that was used in Romans 8. Creation will be set free, loosed. When Jesus heals that woman, he says, woman, thou art Loosed, right? Set free from, from her disease and her iniquity and all this stuff. It's the same thing here. The elements will be dissolved. They will be loosed and the earth and the works done on it will be exposed. They'll be laid bare. They'll be all out there and God will have witness against them and judge them, okay? So the Lord makes all things new and, and the elements, Greek word stoikion, which just means the principles, the ways of the world, how things have gone on since Genesis 3. They're going to be laid bare, they're going to be exposed, and God will burn them up. And as this is happening at the day of the Lord, you know what the saints are doing? We're singing songs. Hallelujah. The judgments of God have come on the earth. Hallelujah. He's punished wickedness finally, and the guy that messed up the playground is gone forever. 
Everything is exposed on the day of the Lord. The wickedness of men and the wickedness that they've tried to hide is laid bare. It's out there and no one's going to say God is treating people unfairly on that day. And in this way, creation will not be destroyed, but will be loosed. It will be set free from its bondage to decay. And so in view of all of this, remember, we've got scoffers. They're saying the day of the Lord's not going to come. Peter says, brother, it's going to come. And when it comes, you're laid bare, you're burned up, you're cast into a lake of fire. That's Peter's point. And then verse 11, since all of these things are, are thus to be dissolved, thus to be loosed, laid bare, open for all to see, since this is happening, what sort of people ought you to be? Does that make sense? He, he's saying the day of the Lord's coming. So don't scoff. What sort of people should you be instead? You should live lives in holiness and godliness so that when the day comes, you're not destroyed. Your works aren't laid bare to be burned up, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. The day of the Lord is coming, so don't scoff. Don't scoff at it. Don't pretend it's not. Instead, Peter says, live holy lives, tremble before God and his day. And according to this promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Guys, and only righteousness dwells. Maranatha, hallelujah, come Lord. The elementary principles of the old age are burned up and God has judged and restored all things. That's Peter's point, okay? Therefore, beloved, so he finishes with this. Since you are waiting for these, the day of the Lord, the judgment on the wicked, the restoration of the righteous, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him at the day of the Lord without spot or blemish and at peace. Okay? Now, if, the, if, if you think the Greek stuff I just did is bull, that's fine. Okay, honestly, I would not listen to me about Greek I wouldn't listen to you about Greek either. Um, but I just want you to take the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of passages about God's commitment to all things and his heart and thought about all things. And then look at the other nine passages that are like, like 2 Peter 3 and, and base your life on those things. Be diligent based on those things. So how does this happen? How do we inherit a home of righteousness? How are we set free and loosed from bondage at the day of the Lord? Peter tells us, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that he may send Jesus the Messiah whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things about which God spoke by the holy prophets long ago. So to inherit eternal life, to not be burnt up at the day of the Lord and cast into a lake of fire, Peter says, repent of your sins. And go on trusting in Jesus and you will be found in him without spot, without blemish and at peace at the day of the Lord. And I, you read the day of the Lord passed, you're like, how am I going to be at peace? Well, your hope's built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and, and righteousness. Okay, So if you have questions about what that means to repent in light of the day of the Lord, what it means to trust in Jesus in light of the restoration of all things, I'll be around today. You can talk to the person. If they're a member of our church, you can talk to them and say, hey, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do I repent of my sins? What does it mean to walk with him all my days? Do that today. Okay, Repent of your sins today. Trust in Jesus today. 
Because the day of the Lord is not slow. It will come. Okay? Last, last passage here, Isaiah 46, which is super cool. Remember the former things long, long past, okay? The former things long past, a reference to creation and God's very goodness, thinking of it, you know, that it's a habitable place for man. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there's no one like me, declaring the end, the age to come, from the beginning, Genesis 1. From ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. And what is God's good pleasure? For God to dwell with man on the earth in a home where righteousness dwells. So repent, therefore, and turn back, that he may send the Messiah, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things. Okay? Hallelujah, Maranatha, like, it's real. It's not a fairy tale. Genesis 1's not a fairy tale. Revelation 22's not a fairy tale. This is where history is going. If you put your hope in Jesus and only in Jesus, you get it, okay? All right, um, let's pray. If we could have our um, elders come to the front. If, if, uh, if you have a prayer for any need, um, or just general prayer, or if you want to pray today uh, in response to the message, you're like, hey, the day of the Lord sounds rough, and I want to be found in him on that day. Also talk to us about that. If you're not praying with an elder, pray in your seat. I know it's harder with, with our pews here. Pray in your seats, pray, pray in small groups, but let's just the next couple moments, um, let's pray.